reading mm-hmm. to learn 30 minutes or more a day. I think 88% of the self-made millionaires, my study did that. I read okay. about two or three hours a day now <clears throat> and practicing your skills. If you're skill-based, because some people should, they are knowledge-based careers and some have skill-based careers. So if you're a skill-based career, that means you got to practice. If you're a knowledge-based career, that means you got to study. And the only way you're going to grow and improve and get better and to almost become like a virtuoso in what you do, which is one of the paths to wealth, there's four paths. Virtuoso is one of them. That You're going to get a premium for what you do when you're a virtuoso. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Shahid Dharani. Today we have with us Tom Corley. Tom is a CPA CFP, holds an MS degree in taxation, and is a best-selling author, award-winning author. His books, Rich Habits, Rich Kids, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, Rich Habits, Poor Habits, Effortless, Wealth. Thank you for coming on our show, Tom, and welcome. Well, thanks, Shahid, for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I love habits, change my life. So I'm grateful to have you on here. Thank you. Yeah, that was a good that title to that book came from Dr. Daniel Amen. I was doing a speaking gig with him in 2014, and I was trying to figure out a name for the book. And and he said, I my I wrote a book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Why don't you say change your habits, change your life? I said, Okay. I'll do that. In your experience in the realm of habits, what is that number one habit? You probably get asked this a lot, but what is that number one habit that can generate wealth? It's the growth habits. It's a category of habits, but it's reading Mm -hmm. to learn 30 minutes or more a day. I think 88% of the self-made millionaires, my study did that. I read about two or three hours a day now. And practicing your skills, if you're skill-based, because some people should, they are knowledge-based careers and some have skill-based careers. So if you're a skill-based career, that means you got to practice. If you're a knowledge-based career, that means you got to study. And the only way you're going to grow and improve and get better and to be almost become like a virtuoso in what you do, which is where you want to, which is one of the paths to wealth. There's four paths. Virtuoso is one of them that you're going to get a premium for what you do when you're a virtuoso. So I, when I said about writing rich habits, I had never written a book before. So I wrote, I must've read about six or seven or eight books on how to write. And that took about a year. And I learned a lot about how to write a book, the format, how to build the characters, how to do this, that, and the other thing. And I then started to write and I felt confident that I could do it because confidence grows with competence, right? And, and, and success, but com- confidence grows with competence. And I became competent in my mind and I ended up writing Rich Habits and then all sorts of other books after that. Yeah, I think that I would say practicing if you're a skill-based, reading to learn if you're knowledge-based. I like listening to podcasts. I was listening to audiobooks for probably five or six years when they used to send them on CDs and I could put them in my car and I would take notes 
which is dangerous while I was driving. But I would, you know, I have something that I do, which I think is help, very helpful to me is I created something called the fact binder. If you can do all this reading, if you're knowledge-based, like I am knowledge-based virtuoso, you have to uh, somehow retain those facts. I can't re remember all of those facts. And so I have this fact binder that I created. And in the fact binder, I actually create sort of summaries. This is, I'm just showing you one. This is my rich habits facts summary. And then I have something called my rich habits cheat sheet. Like I, I use all of these things and I have something called the summary of studies that I've done, the different studies. So I have all these cheat sheets that I use that help me remember things. And that helps me to become more valuable to those who I serve and they're willing to pay me money for my value. That's a good point because I was going with that next. You mentioned about reading enough each day. But I find that when you accumulate so much knowledge, you get really top heavy. You know so much, but we know that results come from the doing part of the yeah. knowledge. So yeah. the subconscious mind, the subconscious programming that moves the body into action to do those things. So if people are reading, continuously gathering information, but they're not actually doing it because they're not forming that information into a habit, like into mm -hmm. a automatic habit in the subconscious mind. Is it still beneficial? And what is your point of view on this point that I just made? Yeah, no, I don't believe it is beneficial. I think it's a waste of your time. I think Thank you. you need to do your reading and build your fact binder if you want doing something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I liked about the fact binder. Yeah. You build yeah. it around your dreams and your goals. Mm -hmm. I have something that I call dream setting. And Dr. Greg Wells actually gave me the idea for this and, and a, when I was doing a speaking gig somewhere. And it's a great idea. Basically, what you do is you, if you're like a leaf on a full day, you have no direction in your life and you're just not sure what you want to do, sit down and, you know, it's a fun exercise. Sit down and write about a thousand word script, what your ideal future life looks like, let's say 10 years out. So you're 10 years older. And now you're writing in your journal. I want you to write in that journal to just, I want you to describe your amazing, ideal, perfect life because you're not going to write about a shitty life, right? You're going to write about a life that you want, that you're pursuing, that you, yeah. th that you would love to have, not that you're pursuing, but that you would love to have. And so you write about this amazing, ideal life. So that's part one of this script. Part two is then tell me how you got there. So in your journal, you're saying, this is my life. I have this beautiful house down by the shore. I make X amount of dollars. I have this much wealth, blah, 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 blah. And then the next part is, okay, how did I get here? This is what I did. And then you map it all out and you create a blueprint for how you got from point A to point B being 10 years into the future. And I've, I must have, I enjoy doing these dream setting scripts so much. I must have about 200 of them. I, if I'm feeling down, Shahid, I, what I'll do is I'll say, I'm going to write a dream setting script today. And I, wrote, I will write a dream setting script and it will get me all pumped up and it get me all motivated. And then next thing I know, I'm doing my reading. I'm doing my, my, my studying. I'm looking at this and I'm looking at that and then I'm doing more writing. And I'm, maybe I'm, I, it even stimulates me to write another book or do whatever. And, and, but that dream setting script really is the catalyst because built yeah. baked into that dream setting script 
are all your dreams that that you have realized in life. Now, dreams, if you think of a dream as a rung on a ladder, right? You have a ladder, it's your ladder, and you put it on your wall. Each one of those rungs is a dream. In order to get to the life of your dreams, you have to climb all those rungs and get to the top. You have to realize all of those dreams. And every dream, each dream that's in your dream setting script, actually, in order to be realized, has you have to accomplish certain goals. Action. Goals, goals are not some ethereal number. They're not some distant place. Goals are physical activities that you take. People mistake dreams and goals. Dreams are that objective that I want to be in a, living in a home down by the ocean. That's a dream. A goal is, okay, how am I going to get that house by the ocean? What do I have to do? And then you say, okay, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to get a, my CPA or I'm going to get become a certified financial planner or I'm going to become a doctor or I'm going to develop this skill or that skill. So now you have this goal of developing this skill, let's say, and what are your goals? Your goals are to practice particular subsets of that skill every day. And in my study, it was the ones who were skill-based virtuosos, they practiced a minimum of three to four hours a day on their skills. So that's how you do it. You build this 10,000 feet high blueprint of what your life is going to be like 10 years out, identify all the dreams that are baked into that perfect, ideal future life, and then go after each dream one at a time. Pick a dream and say, okay, I'm going to build goals around that dream. And it's amazing. The brain's amazing because once you do this dream setting script, it actually creates a subconscious itch. Your mm -hmm. brain just has to scratch and it will be feeding you with intuition and information. Mm. It's whispering in your ear saying, yes. you need to do this. You need yep. to do that. Pardon me. The voice. And, and you're like, wow. I, I remember when the idea for writing rich habits popped into my head. It was in the middle of the night. I was like, where the hell did yeah. that come from? It's I, phenomenal. I, what is rich habits? I don't even know what it was, yeah. Shahid. And, I said, yeah. and it's a, then my brain was telling me, well, rich habits is all the work you've been doing on that study. I was mm. like, oh, it was amazing. The brain's amazing. Mm. Subconscious brain can process, the conscious brain can only process 40 bits of information a second. That, Subconscious brain can process 40 million bits per second. Far yeah. more powerful. So much more powerful. And some people call it the voice. Some people call it a pointer or something. But I find that when we're in a calmer state, we get more of those nudges and pointers and indicators mm -hmm. and direction. In your study, when you were researching the wealthy and the not so wealthy when it comes to habits, what did you find in regards to calmness of mind? Yeah. So, in fact, I found a lot on this, and that's why I started studying brainwaves, because <clears throat> the, the aha moments pop into your head typically when you're in the alpha state. When you're yeah. going into when you're going into sleep or coming out of sleep, mm -hmm. and so because of that, I kept a a piece like a notepad and a, a pencil by my desk while I was going through all of this research and stuff and learning, and I would write down things that were popping into my head that I had no idea where that information was coming from. So mm -hmm. I'd write all these things down. So you have to really, I keep that pad by my desk 
by my nightstand because I find myself writing on it as I'm going into sleep. I'll stop and I'll write on it, something that pops into my head. And as I'm coming out of sleep, I'll write it on it. Sometimes I write in the middle of the night and I can't even understand my scribble. Mm, yeah. But it's, it's that alpha state, that calm state. Also, you could be in a beta state, which is act, active state. You could be in a beta state, but typically it's a weird state. It's not exactly beta. When you're exercising, particularly aerobically, you enter a state which I don't think they've actually identified yet. They call it beta, but it's a combination of alpha and beta because your brain shifts from doing a lot of thinking to uh, applying its energy to help you move all the muscles and increase your heart rate and get the blood flowing. So it's energy is being redirected physically. So that means the thinking part of the brain is actually in a, an alpha state. It's calm because it's not being used. And that's when I get a lot of ideas, ideas. And I would, I remember I was running one time and I had seven ideas for articles that ended up making its way into one of my books on one run. And I, I had, after that, I was trying to remember the articles. And when I, after that, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring my digital recorder with me, a little thing. And so if that ever happened again, and it has happened again, it's the weirdest thing, but you, you want to be in that alpha state, mental state. That's where ideas and aha moments come from. Everyone talks about success habits, right? People that have success habits. Can you share one or two failure habits that get people to fail or not be so wealthy? Yeah, I think that when it comes to spending money, people, they call it the Diderot effect. And this is where you supersize your life. You increase your standard of living as your income goes up. This is such a common thing for upper middle class people who never really accumulate a lot of wealth. And Dr. Thomas Stanley and his graduate assistant student who wrote, helped write the book, The Millionaire Next Door, did all the research. To Anyway, that, that book really talks a lot about that. The, you, you can make a lot of money and not have any wealth. And that's typically typical upper middle class people because they engage in want spending, supersizing their life, emotional spending. They just they decide that on the spur of a moment, spontaneously, that they're going to buy something. And this Diderot effect where, hey, I'm going to, I fell victim to it. We, my wife and I moved into our, I finally achieved one of my dreams, realized one of my dreams, which was living down by the ocean. And I, uh, the house that I bought had an old 80 year old, you can't really call it a shed because it was a 10, it was a 10 by 20 facility that was used for different things. Anyway, it was in the backyard. And I said, I told my wife, I'm going to convert that into an Irish pub. And uh, oh. I and really enjoyed every single second of converting that into an Irish pub. But the interesting thing, Shahid, the Diderot effect kicked in. So when it was done, my wife is, oh my God, this is amazing what you've done in here. And she said, we have to put pavers around this. So we built a path from the house to the pub. Oh, amazing. And then we yeah. built pavers 
around the outside of the pub because I built an indoor outdoor bar. So you and yeah. oh, then we awesome. have to have this sliding glass window. Then we have to have a roof that comes overhead. Yeah. But then I was like, my God! I said, I am completely self-aware of the Diderot effect, and I am falling victim to it. But that's it's just the nature. It wasn't that expensive, and we didn't get carried away. But my point is, you need to be aware when you're making these mistakes and put the brakes on so you stop yourself. One of the things that we're exploring right now is putting in, I don't know if you ever heard of a splash pool or a dunk pool, but it's a little pool. It's like an eight by eight or a 10 by 10. It's very small. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, if we do this, the Diderot effect is going to kick in again and we're going to be doing this, that, and the other thing. You know, that Diderot effect is very powerful. It's almost it's almost too powerful, and the only thing you can do is just avoid spending anything, any of your money on things that are going to create more of a need to spend money. So I would say those are the biggest ones: want spending, supersizing your life, the Diderot effect. Keep your the, my an old keep your house. I was going to say, but an old friend of mine, who's a CPA, he's ten years, eleven years older than me. I asked him one time what he thought the secret to financial independence was, and he said. Same house, same spouse, same car. He says, if you do that every time that you buy a house, you stick in it, you stick with it for uh, forever. You buy a car, you stick with it forever until it breaks down if, and you stay married. He said, you'll probably retire financially independent. Good point. That was amazing how you achieve a goal. And that got me excited for creating that, buying that home. There's a lot of people there that have dreams and have these desires and they're working each day to achieve it. And you have, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. So habits, many of them can be very deep rooted. They're genetic or the environment that they've been in just embedded in them. What do you recommend they could do in the easiest way or the fastest way or the most convenient way for them to change those deep-rooted habits to achieve wealth? Yes, I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, you know, that, that's not the answer I was looking for. You can <laughs> never change. You can never change the habit synapse. The synapse that was formed to create the habit that you have can never be changed. However, there's a way to trick the brain into co-opting that habit synapse for another habit. Now, one of the things I learned from my research, what and I had to do a deep dive into studying the brain and how it works, particularly the habit sections of the brain, the cerebellum, the basal ganglia, and other regions. How do you, how do you hack? How do you habit hack? One of the things I found was, it's very interesting. If you just focus on one, what I call keystone habit, forging one keystone habit, when you are successfully forged that habit, and it takes about 100 days, for, on average, it takes about 60 to 100 days to forge a habit. So let's say you forge that habit, that keystone habit. A keystone habit is different from other habits like brushing your teeth, taking a shower. A keystone habit is something that has an impact on other habits, other ordinary habits. So like 
deciding that you're unhealthy, you're heavy and you're unhealthy and you decide I want to lose weight and get healthy. So I'm going to start to walk every day. You baby step it. I always tell people when I'm responding to their emails or their comments in social media, I always tell them, if you want to start an exercise program because you want to lose weight, what you do is devote only 10 to 15 minutes a day to it. Don't jump in and say, I'm going to do an hour of walking. That you'll, you'll, Your brain, in about two weeks, it takes about two weeks for the brain to say, we're using up too much energy to form this habit, this hour-long walking habit. So the brain will start fighting you and it starts feeding you with ideas and, and it starts feeding you with information that forces you to engage in other habits that mm. they already have in place. Mm. So, you, and you're like, so you, I can't forge a habit then. The baby step approach, it tricks the brain because the brain is not going to say, if you're doing a 10 minute walk, oh, this is too much, requiring too much energy. It's going to say, oh, we don't care. But what happens when you do that 10 minute walk every day is the, this, the habit synapse starts to form. And when, and how a habit, how a habit actually forms is that how a habit synapse comes into being is the neurons move closer together. Neurons are brain cells. They can move in your brain. They can move from one place to the other. They move closer together. Their dendrites and their axons get closer together and they start communicating more. And then as the habit synapse becomes stronger, it, that means that the neurons that are creating that habit are growing and becoming bigger and they're co-opting other neurons to come and help. And then they're getting glial cells to come help them. So now you have all this infrastructure being built over a 10 minute a day walk. Guess what? After two months of doing that 10 minute a day walk, you say, I'm going to increase it to 20 minutes. The brain says, we don't care. The habit's already there. We don't care if you do 20 minutes. We don't mm. care if you do an hour, do five hours. We could care less. The brain won't fight you on it. So baby stepping right. to forge the habit, but it has to be a keystone habit. And the important thing about keystone habits is they create other complementary habits like eating healthy and they destroy other contradictory habits like smoking cigarettes, drinking too much beer or wine or whatever. They'll, they'll actually destroy, they'll get the glial cells that are for, forming that habit synapse, that keystone habit synapse, and they'll say, go and kill that other habit synapse that's interfering it's, it's with, like, uh, with us. And they will. The glial like cells the, will go over there and eat them up. It's the little ducks following the mother duck. So yeah. the actual habit needs to be replaced with a new habit, correct? Yes. Yes. So a keystone habit. Yeah. So that's very similar to how we work with clients is that we find out what those non-productive activities are. We replace it with the productive activities, mm -hmm. habits that they need to do. But then we emotionalize those habits. So on a consistent basis, emotionalizing on a regular basis, consistently, and we find mm -hmm. it to be very successful. You no, know, because yeah, well, now we're emotionally a, feeling it. You hit on, on something very important. When you drag emotions into the habit formation process, it's a game changer. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Yeah. When iPhones came out, the smartphones came out. Yeah. 
all of these apps started popping up. Yeah. The latest app that everybody is now using is TikTok because these apps target the emotional centers of the brain. The habit is instantaneous. The energy resources that get freed up when you tap into the emotional center of the brain is enormous. And so you can, you can forge an immediate habit if it's emotion-based. So you hit onto a very important point. Yeah. The problem is a lot of these habits are not emotion-based. Oh, I'm going to save 20% of my income. How do you get excited about that? The way you get excited about it is is when you're consistently invested and then that investment grows. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden you're like, you get emotional about every time you save because now you see your wealth growing. Very good, Tom. It was great talking to you, my friend, learning about this changed my life. The habits that I have now, I wish I had them earlier. Targeted habits that I emotionalized, followed my mentor's instructions. That's how he did it. Like you said, it wasn't immediate. It took some time, but they feel like they were part of you forever. It just feels like it's part of you, like in your cells when you emotionalize. Appreciate you, Tom. Appreciate Mm -hmm. you taking the time to come on our show to talk about this. Looking forward to seeing your new book. If you have anything to launch or Mm -hmm. promote, let us know. You can come back on. Okay. Thanks, Shahid. I appreciate it. My pleasure.